0: Hi, this is Andy Springer, author of Virtual Selling, and you're listening to my quest for the best with Bill Ringle.
1: Listen up, small business founders, senior managers, and rising stars. Bill Ringle here, host of My Quest for the Best, the podcast for ambitious small business leaders. On each episode, I bring you the inside stories from published and accomplished experts who want to share their knowledge and experiences in order to help you be more successful in leading your people, managing your business, and navigating toward more growth and more impact in a changing and challenging landscape. Let's dive in. Joining me today on episode 412, Is Andy Springer. Andy is Chief Client Officer for Rain Group. leads a global delivery team, which designs, measures, and delivers every client the results they seek when engaging Rain Group. Andy is an expert in high-performance sales and co-leads the global mission of the Rain Group to become famous for client results. Andy has worked with thousands of sales teams to drive long-lasting sales improvement in SME, mid-market, and enterprise companies, over the last 18 years. He's known for consistently supporting sales leaders and remaining focused on the proven activities that drive real sales growth in their teams. Andy loves exploring the world with his family and is a keen racer of fast selling boats. He lives in Boston, Massachusetts, and is here to talk about his book, Virtual Selling, How to Build Relationships, Differentiate and Win Sales Remotely. Welcome Andy. Thanks Bill, great to be here. Great to be with you, tell me. When you were growing up, who's somebody who influenced or inspired you, Andy?
0: I think the one that created the greatest paradigm shift is someone that a lot of people may not know. It's a guy called Randy Gage. He's a guy that studied prosperity in the modern day, and it had a profound impact on my thinking, my doing, and ultimately my own results.
1: Did you happen to come across Randy's materials when you were growing up or was it a little bit later?
0: Early, uh, late teens, early 20s. Yeah. Literally within weeks had profound change in terms of my life. And as I said, the results that I was achieving.
1: I know Randy, and I'm curious, what was one of the things that he likes to say that stuck in your mind, to changed the way you looked at things, because he speaks in very contrarian tones.
0: Yeah, Randy's a direct sort of guy, and that's what I really like. No beating around the bush straight to the point. The key message that really struck was what I was worth and what the value-for-value value exchange I was bringing to the world was truly worth, and it was me that was putting the price on that, not the market or not those who were engaging me. And, and I literally 10 x my income within the following 12 months of that kind of paradigm shift. He had, a, as I said, a profound impact on my life.
1: Give us the context, Andy. It wasn't that you were out you went from earning two thousand dollars a year to twenty thousand dollars a year what were you doing and what were you doing a year later so we really understand what a difference it makes when you really embrace that kind of contrarian thinking and recognize that you're the one who accepts What you're capable of? It's a great
0: question. It's not a story I've publicly shared. In terms of quantitative measure, I I went from earning $40,000 a year as an employee at the time, and I think some of your listeners might choke on their witties. When they think of $40,000, how do you actually live on $40,000? Then, in my first year of the company that I started, pretty soon after getting this information into my head and doing something with it, receipts on over of a services company that I started were well in excess of $600,000 in that first year. As I said, probably, which in a company that I started, you know, probably eight weeks after listening to that. And at that age, in my early 20s, that's seismic. It wasn't necessarily the money. I don't see money as as something that defines a person. It's really just can be an indicator of the value for value exchange. It really demonstrated the shift that thinking and then acting on that shift in thinking can have in one's life. I literally came out of the blocks and never looked back and just built further and further from that. And so I've pretty much been in my own employ since then, uh, building companies, selling companies. I've failed at a company. I've bought companies. I'm invested in companies.
1: And I've just had a very blessed journey. Sandy, you realize that's not the typical path. You realize that people don't start a business and a couple of years later, uh, earning over $600,000. Yours was a trajectory that was very deliberate and very aggressive and successful. So you need to give yourself credit on those counts.
0: I appreciate that, Bill, thank you. For me, it's never been about the money. Money's just the tool to be able to to do things with, to grow, to add value, to help solve problems, to invest in, in what you
1: believe in. When I talk about it with clients, I always say that payment gives me permission to help you. Yeah, thanks. I just look at it, as, I, I know so many things that can help you. Once you pay your invoice, now you've given me permission to go in and make the changes and have the conversations and to start to implement the work and improvements that are gonna make a massive difference in your company. I bet you see it the same way, it's just the go ahead.
0: The volume of sellers and organizations that we engage with now is forever growing. And it's amazing to see how sellers devalue their offering consistently. They don't understand the value of it, they don't understand the impact of it. And when they take that transactional bit to just selling and achieving a number, versus selling to bring new value, to unlock possibilities, to solve real problems, to enable the achievement of real objectives in their client organizations. That can be, in some cases, truly transformative. And there is significant value awaiting those who understand that. And that value often is in exchange for greater revenue, increase in profit, and, and ultimately for those who are on commission, increased commissions. We study top performance, right? We know all of the tactical things that top performers do, but actually what you see in top performers
1: is they think differently to the rest. Mindset is incredibly important because we have skill sets and mindsets help us employ skill sets, expand them, forget about tools or adopt new ones. A couple of years ago, we had the COVID pandemic lockdown and all of a sudden the world of selling changed. Because selling was always something where it was very relationship oriented. You want to build relationships with people. And I think of it in two ways. One, you build a relationship so that you can do business or you do business together and build a relationship through the work together. It changed dramatically when the pandemic hit and many people were in denial that they wouldn't be able to go and visit people. Many people said, oh, it's only going to last a couple of weeks, right? Maybe two months at the most. I remember these conversations, having them with people, and it was very different. The people who had the mindsets to change and adapt to stay successful, what were some of the elements of those mindsets that you observed and, of course, that you had with your colleagues, Andy?
0: Great question. We were a very new leadership team at at that time. In fact, we'd only just merged two companies together and it's the Global Rain Group on the 1st of January 2020. And so six in our global leadership team and what's about 12 weeks into our burgeoning relationship, we had the pandemic thrust upon us. What I really loved being in that team of six, newly formed and coming together pretty much for the first time and certainly engaging with a Black Swan event for the first time, was our thinking in terms of, we understand the challenges that face us like they faced any business at the time, but what about the challenges that our clients were facing and more importantly, the sellers within our clients were facing? That's our target audience, that's our customers, those that we think about the most, that's certainly the ones I think about the most. What and how are they gonna get through the pandemic was the question that we kept asking. Instead of focusing in, we looked externally. And we said what is the value that we can bring immediately to the market to help sellers transition and make this change the most in the most effective way as possible we made an investment at that point we went to market we got our our research center immediately orientated to go out and study the initial impacts of the pandemic, how that changed the way in which buyers in those size of companies that you spoke about at the intro, how that shifted and changed the way in which they were perceiving buying and they were engaging with sellers in this pandemic. Then how were sellers showing up? what was working and what was not in terms of engaging buyers virtually. We very quickly were able to get significant, hyper-relevant research into the market in our virtual selling skills and challenges white paper. And it had an immediate impact in terms of the value that we could bring to sellers and the type of conversations we could have, navigating them, helping them navigate through this seismic change in the way in which they go to market. And it was quite profound because it really showed us very quickly that face-to-face was very much the norm. There was a pocket, certain key pocket of sellers out there that I wouldn't say perfected, but was certainly figured out engaging through video conference platforms to be able to sell. But the majority were very used to -to face-to-face. They were used to conference rooms. They were used to aeroplanes. They were used to meeting in reception and lobbies and going for coffee meetings. And that was really difficult for them because what had happened in the immediacy of the pandemic when it came to the selling world was the pandemic ripped away one dimension of human connection straight away. You think about when you're face-to-face, you've got all the three dimensions of human contact available to you. You can read body language, you can see people move, you can see all the different elements that are on display in 3D life. When you move to virtual, you are only looking at two dimensions. You're only looking at what you can see in terms of the flatness of that person on the screen and what you're hearing. In a lot of cases, you only heard what they're hearing because as a lot of sellers told us, a lot of buyers wouldn't turn up with video on. It became really difficult
1: really quickly. I think that there's a great point where some sellers would notice that the buyers would show up without video on. (laughs) And there are a lot of different ways to respond to that from asking, say, do you know how to turn your video on? Can I help you through that? To freaking out and saying, they don't want to see me. They don't have their video on and taking it very personally and not putting themselves in the best state of mind to be effective in serving them. What kind of conversations do you remember having with people who were looking to sell effectively and how they overcame even that small challenge of the buyers were less... uh technologically sophisticated and being able to appear on screen and have meetings.
0: I think the great thing for us was the research produced what were the virtual selling challenges that sellers were having and what what were the challenges that buyers were having when they're engaging with sellers virtually. From a seller's perspective, it was really clear that 91% of sellers were telling us that they were having really big challenges in gaining a buyer's attention and keeping that buyer engaged virtually. By having 89% of them were having significant challenge in changing buyer's point of view on what's possible or how to solve a problem in that virtual environment, how they develop relationships, connecting with them, overcoming objectives, collaborating with them virtually. I know that sounds a little bit strange, but it wasn't the early elements of prospecting where you would still reach out in mail, LinkedIn, phone, but then when it came to early stage prospecting and their needs discovery virtually, it was a really challenging time. We were really fortunate to be able to have that research, understand from the seller's board what are the key challenges they're
1: facing virtually. And ultimately what we did was write a book about how to overcome those. What was important is to recognize that many of these things were skills that were learned to be yeah. and you need to add additional skills so that you could do them remotely. It yeah. doesn't, the need, for those solutions didn't change the seller was selling still needed to be in the marketplace to solve problems and provide resources for the people who are buyers
0: Spot on. Was, that was the big that was the big
1: part is love what you said buyers still wanted to their be job back. they are a buyer if they are successful what have they done with their day they have made purchase decisions.
0: Good ones that will serve their company. Absolutely. Obviously there's challenges that they face. We can talk about, but certainly buyers were buying. So sellers, I think, need, needed to come to that initial that initial stage of thinking, hang on, I can still sell in this environment. And then I think what we saw really clearly as practitioners, as being out and about virtually in our own client organizations, was that there were sellers that actually thought, hey, All I've got to do, Bill, is I've got to turn up, and I've just got to be the same as if we were like face-to-face, and everything will just be fine. I've got to just transfer everything on Zoom. I've got to put everything on the Teams. I've got to get on my WebEx, and everything will be fine. And guess what they found? The buyers weren't looking for that. (laughs) Totally different. The buyers now had a new arsenal of tools to use against them, like a very simple one. I don't need to be on video. You know what? The big one was what I would call the get to the point factor was much higher. You used to have that time between meeting and reception and then walk into the conference room where you could do some some casual rapport building get to know them check in with them at a personal level have a little bit of banner even that conversation that casual conversation extended into the first part of the meeting then we eased in at a point we've all got that same feeling where we've had those experiences and that's how we normally sell then what happens is you might have been given an hour for a face-to-face you're now in a 30-minute conversation the buyers then on and say there's less opportunity for rapport build because it's a little bit more awkward virtually
1: yet rapport is still necessary for a Uh sale to be made of
0: course that's the big thing that most sellers first got it hit them straight in the face is oh my gosh i'm not developing any sort of relationships of substance here like i used to the minute a seller is out of their comfort zone the buyer has the advantage The seller is now feeling uncomfortable. They're now doing something different. They've realized in the first few virtual selling conversations they've got, wow, something's really different here. This isn't the same as what I'm used to. They had no default to come back to. They had no comfort zone to retreat to. They were in new territory. They weren't able to develop rapport They were struggling to get traction on relationship and the buyers thrusting them in straight into the conversation and saying, what do you
1: got? Show us your value. Eddie, I'm sure you've worked with many people who are in this situation. Can you share a story about working with someone who came to you sharing these concerns and what did you coach them on in order to help them change their approach, prepare better and to make sure they were hitting their milestones within the given amount of time that they had, even though it was reduced. They could still do it if they were prepared. For anyone that, you know, today it's
0: really difficult to make oodles and oodles of money unless you're Tom Clancy or Stephen King out of writing novels and selling the writing books and selling them. So the premise of us writing the virtual selling book was not about making money. It was about trying to help solve an immediate problem and get solution into the market for those sellers out there that could benefit from it. One of the very first companies that reached out to us after we launched the book in July 2020 was a very large firm that were in the business of water. That's probably as far as I can go because we have fairly strict confidentiality sort of conditions in our contract and the reason is a lot of our clients us our methodology and application of that and the work we do with them as a competitive advantage right in the spirit of openness and also anonymity i can tell you that the gentleman that we engage with in the americas group a guy called adrian he was responsible for the sales development of a very large selling force of this global company that we're engaged with in the americas he was and still is a very switched on very curious very aware sort of sales development leader And they're always a blessing to work with because they have a really good sense of the pulse of the organization. And Adrian certainly at the early stages of the pandemic really realized that they were in trouble. They have a lot of seasoned, highly technical sellers, very seasoned, very tenured. Average average tenure was, you know, 12 years plus. 12, I think it was like 12.3 years plus. All of it was face to face. They were road warriors. They were out there banging on the doors Uh, either impromptu or pre-booked meetings. It was all face-to-face. And in some cases, they know their buyers so well, they could literally turn up on a day on their travels, pull their car into the car park, they'd walk in and they'd be greeted personally because they were really well-known. That instantly changed. No one was on the road. No one was able to see anyone. And this was the first time, in some cases, 10 years of engaging with clients that the sellers of this organization that Adrian looked after had to pick up a phone and actually call their clients. First time on the phone. It was 60% plus of their selling organization didn't even have a Teams or a Zoom account. This was bare bones basics, right? So they had to get very quickly, rapid upskill in terms of technology, rapid upskill in terms of just initiating a virtual meeting. And then they were thrust into the same experience that we just talked about. Their buyers became quite efficient with them. They were struggling to get any traction. They were struggling to get any meaningful cut through in their conversations. What happened was, sales started to dip. And so we came in and and really ascertained the, the situation and had to do so quite quickly and figure out what are the core things that if we just focus on and we do them really well, it's going to make the biggest impact for these sellers straight away. A couple of things. One, we got them thinking in terms of preparation of rapport building and developing relationship virtually. Now that's a really key thing, not turning up and expecting it to happen, but think about how can we carve out two, three minutes and just be prepared with some really good questions to personalize, to build rapport and to just soften that entry part because we're prepared to do so. Had a found impact. They felt within a week of starting to bring this to life that the relationship started to reconnect. Seeing it on mass was quite exciting. The second thing is The buyer's world had changed. Every single buyer's world had changed because of the pandemic. We needed to connect with what had changed. We started preparing really efficient and effective needs discoveries that we would engage virtually. And we spoke about and then executed how do we go and deep dive, wide and deep in terms of how they're responding. What are the challenges that they're now facing that they're seeking solutions for in relation to the pandemic and their business? What are the objectives and how they changed and what are they looking for in in terms of solutions and things from their partner, value from their partners
1: to help them realise they're nearly you know, their revised objectives in the pandemic. If we're talking about a water company, during the pandemic, I'm sure a lot of their customers were no longer restaurants, but they were now looking to sell through different channels because people weren't showing up in restaurants. That would be an obvious one, right?
0: As I said, I've got to be careful here. I don't want to give too much away. This company gets engaged by municipalities. Okay, to, so it's to,
1: not consumer water. it's a
0: Water, base water, pump. Water. It was all the mechanics and the machinery and so it's service and hardware solution in terms of water on a
1: big scale. I imagine that there is greater demand in households with people staying home and working from home. Absolutely.
0: And many less people available to troubleshoot, to trigger, to be out there actually fixing stuff, ordering stuff, building stuff. It was...
1: Yeah. I think that what you've done is you empowered the sales team to ask questions that needed to be asked That might not have been the focus of the seller or of the buyer to begin with, to ask questions. How is it going with this additional demand? How is it going now that we're seeing more demand in people taking showers in different population areas? How is it going in these areas? And through that questioning during the sales call, even though it's shortened, they were able to differentiate themselves because they were asking better quality questions that helped their client, the buyer, be more successful. Is that getting... I think what they enabled
0: themselves through the work we did to really reposition themselves
1: as a valuating partner.
0: It was actually quite remarkable. A lot of the turn up, when they turn up, they rock up. They were looking for (laughs) transactions, right? They were looking to sell stuff. Now, in pivoting the way in which they showed up and then engaging in a different way virtually, they were now repositioning themselves in the eyes of their buyer as, hey, we're all in this together. How can we be a valuating partner to you in this situation? In some cases, not every case, but in a lot of cases, the majority, it completely redefined how they were seen in the eyes of their customers. Why? Think about water, right? Water is very dynamic. Floods and the way in which we have to respond after floods. Floods didn't stop because there was a pandemic. Water shortages didn't stop because there was a pandemic. Pumping issues did not stop because there was a pandemic. Various different effects cause and effect in terms of that. But their business of keeping water flowing and keeping water pumping and keeping water clean didn't stop. They had to figure out a completely different way to re engage their buyers and their customers to help provide solutions to them. And they did a hats off to them. They did an absolutely terrific job. As I said, credit to people like Adrian who are at the forefront of understanding the seismic gap between. What and how they were selling up as sellers, then they were solving a problem. They weren't looking to redefine themselves in the eyes of the buyer. That was a beautiful byproduct of the way in which they immediately shifted and reacted really positively, took on board some
1: really good knowledge that we were able to do it. To their credit, they applied it beautifully. It reminds me of the movie that came out before the pandemic. Did you happen to see the George Clooney movie, Up in the Air, where they had introduced a computer system? And all the salespeople now were back home um, in the home office. And they were miserable. They were miserable for all the reasons you described. They were used to going out and schmoozing. They were used to going out and staying at the hotels. They were used to having the freedom rather than being overseen in this new area. This is very similar to what happened during the pandemic. It's similar where you need different skill sets. And I thought that movie illustrated beautifully how if you don't add those skill sets, you're limited with the number of ways that you can respond to a client needs, a client's needs in a changing. Bill, this
0: is the thing. Do you think like everything's gone back to normal? What's your view on the world? What do you say?
1: I don't know what normal is anymore, Andy. Great response. I do I can't answer it because I'm not looking to bring things back to my preconceived idea. I look at it and say, fresh eyes. Here's what I'm able to do now. I'm able to travel. I'm able to visit with clients. I'm able to vacation now. I don't know that's going to be the way it is a week from now. Or a month from now. But what I do know is that I am more fortunate in that I have a range of skill sets. I could pick up a toolkit when I do this and go meet with clients and do offsite with them in a retreat. But if we need to do something virtually, I put down that toolkit and pick up the toolkit of how to do things virtually. I think that's what comes out of reading your book is that people need to have all sorts of toolkits to be responsive in all sorts of situations.
0: Would you agree with that? I wouldn't say your airline stocks just yet, but I would definitely say I'd be worried if. If I was an airline that purely relied upon profit through business travel, I think we've seen a profound change in the buyer-seller dynamics since the pandemic. And guess what? It's driven from the buyer. We've had recent research where we've validated the outputs of our 2020 research. And for those sellers that like selling face-to-face, the news is getting worse. That's very clear. The volume of sellers globally want to and are very much back face-to-face and doing what? Doing the normal. Yet. We're seeing a significant increase and trend in terms of buyers. First of all, buyers, a lot of them in corporate, in B2B, and in services environments where they don't have to be on site or in the office, are working from home en masse. You cannot deny that. It is a global trend, particularly in Western economies, and it's getting worse right or getting better depending on which side of the fence you sit on buyers are working from home not coming into the office as much you're not going to get as much access to them and you're gonna have to learn to engage in what we call hybrid selling right which is you need to have a really good complement of virtual selling skills and you need to hone those skills still so you need to develop them then you need to hone them. And then you've got face-to-face. Then the dynamic of face-to-face selling as we're seeing through our research is also changing at the moment, but we won't talk about that just now. What we're seeing to your point, Bill, is that there is a large tranche of sellers in the organizations that we work with that are still thinking that virtual selling skills are no longer required, or I learned them, I did that, I now can just do what I need to do. To your point, it's both. From now on, the new normal is actually both. And it's not being paired for another pandemic. It's being prepared to engage the buyer way they want to be engaged. That's what it's right.
1: about. Because having skills of being able to do this virtually allows people to have more choices and a wider range of buyers that they could meet and effectively engage in. What I like in the book is that you propose redefining consultative selling. Can we talk about that for a moment? You say that consultative selling is an approach to sales whereby sellers define reality and maximize buyer value two points, understanding and redefining the need, crafting compelling solutions to address the need, and communicating it. And also inspiring buyers and driving change with ideas that matter. That's what the whole consultative aspect is all about. It's being able to be responsive to buyers who are now in control as to whether they say they want face-to-face, virtual, or a hybrid environment. If that's the way that's working, how do people best prepare through a consultative approach? What do you encourage your clients to do in order to be more effective in in sales? In a world where we have different options ranging from in-person to virtual to hybrid, what are a few things you encourage people to start? I hate
0: listening to podcasts that are all very theoretical and I don't necessarily know how to translate that theory into practice. I'm going to flip that and I'm going to ask your listeners to do one thing and just follow along with me in order to get maximum value from our time together in order to bring exactly what you've just talked about to life. Turning up and leading a thorough and effective needs discovery To lead was one of the greatest factors that define seller effectiveness virtually and so leading a thorough and impressive needs discovery in a virtual environment was one of the quickest ways that a seller could demonstrate their level of effectiveness to the buyer. 71% of buyers said that is one of the most critical decision factors is how well they executed a needs discovery and understood my needs wants and concerns. What they found in terms of seller effectiveness in virtually doing a needs discovery, only 26% of sellers were observed by buyers as being effective in that virtually. The first things first, you've got to plan and execute really good needs discoveries and you've got to think about the environment virtually and the way in which you're going to do that. The other thing that they showed that demonstrated a keen difference was showing me what's possible, how to solve a problem. What's the practical way you can do that? I want you to think of a sheet of paper, just turn it on its side in landscape. On the left-hand side, just create a column that says current state. On the right-hand side, about the same size, I want you to write new reality. Or future state, and leave a box in the middle. Split the page in landscape into three even columns or three boxes. Left hand side, current state, right hand side, new reality. So, when you do a really effective needs discovery, especially virtually, and the reason why I'm saying a sheet of paper is it's something you can convert into a single slide, single PowerPoint slide, you capture your buyer's current state. What is it that's most impacting you now? What are the biggest problems that they're facing? What are the biggest objectives that they're seeking to realize? It it can be and or it's not necessarily exclusive. By the way, we talk about aspirations and afflictions and needs discovery. That is understanding both the problems and the desires, the the goals, the objectives. It needs to be a combination of both to have the full understanding of breadth and depth of customers. Left-hand column, current state, capture all those. Use verbatims. Use the actual words of the buyer if you can as close to. On the right-hand side, if you've done effective needs discovery where it says new reality or future state, you capture where is it they want to be. What does life look like and operate and feel like after that problem has been solved, those goals have been achieved? What is the future state? What is the new reality they are seeking to achieve? Capture that all down there once again. Same thing, verbatim as close to their words as possible. In the middle, that third part in the middle is the bridge. And that is the solution or how we can help you get there. That's where we can initially capture after our effective virtual needs discovery. We can capture what are our ideas, our initial ideas to help solution to get them from their current to their future state or new reality. And you want to create that slide and you want to get it back in front of the client in your next virtual conversation as quickly as possible. Why? Because then the second most important part and influential part in virtual selling comes to life and that's collaboration. We begin to collaborate. We have something meaningful that we can go back to the buyer with in our next Zoom, our next WebEx, our next team meeting. By the way, do it quite quickly to share with them, hey, we really understood where you're at. Hey, we really understood where you want to be. And hey, we've got some initial thinking in terms of how we might help you get there. That's the middle box. And that's what we want to have a conversation with you about today. We're not selling you. We're not pitching you. We're now going to take these ideas, these thought starters, and begin a virtual collaboration.
1: Now, yeah, so that, it's, it's not bringing a solution. It's opening the floor up for a collaboration together so that they well, can help in the creation of the solution?
0: That's the big gap. Most people think, and especially in virtual selling, this works even like it works really well in face-to-face, but it it is an exceptional cut-through that sellers use in virtual selling, top performers in virtual selling are using because what we found was speed, getting back in front of the client quickly is really important. Two, the minute they start talking, asking questions, correcting what you've put on that slide, by the way, be open to feedback, it's theirs, it's all about them not about you. The minute they start engaging with what you said there, and they said, hey, Bill, you know what? The way you've defined that current state here, that, sorry, that future state, I'd say, you no, know, this is the way I'd define that second point. You know what? I changed that fourth point to they're involved. They're collaborating. They're buying what you're putting down here. You don't realize it, but that's the dynamic here. The minute they're collaborating with you on the solution, they're making it their own. That's the way they want it They don't want to be told. They want to collaborate with you, so we tell each other together.
1: That is really eye-opening to hear you describe it, Andy. Now, here's my question. How do you go from the stage of having that capability to getting the attention, setting up that first meeting to do the needs discovery? What are two or three effective ways you've found to interrupt the noise and the flow of information that comes through for everyone who's on? online these days. A
0: couple of things. First of all, if you're reaching out net new in the virtual world, we should assume a couple of things. One, all about every client, every customer that you're seeking to reach out to is time poor. Don't waste their time. If you're reaching out, you need to think and I call it the it's, I define it as the 8 second window. We used to have 30 seconds, we used to have minutes where people would actually give you the time if you reached out by email, on the phone, you literally have an 8 second window. It's what I define as the value filter. They're thinking about it what this person is saying. Is it gonna help me achieve my strategic goal, solve my strategic problems, achieve my tactical goals, or solve my tactical problems? Now, I'm thinking about one or multiple needs that sit within those four buckets. With the value message, all it needs to do is land in the ballpark. It doesn't need to be spot on, but it it seems like it might help. I'm gonna filter that quickly. Typically, eight seconds is about the time it takes to read two to three sentences. If you're turning up and you're going, I'm blah, blah, blah from blah, blah, blah company and we do blah, blah, blah. That's game over. It's finished. They're already disconnected. They've hit delete or they're already thinking about the next thing, right? They don't care about who you are and what you do until they they can see that you're actually there to help them. So that value filter's got narrow, so you've got to think about eight seconds. Think about those first two sentences if you want to get their attention and you want to get a response you've got to land somewhere in that ballpark of value for them. And then when you do, you will find it will transform the results. But you've got to put yourself in their shoes. Do the same with your existing customers as well. If you're struggling to get cut through, if they're not giving you the time to be able to reconnect with them around the changes that have gone on in their business that you'd really like to understand and connect with and figure out how you might help them solve problems or realize objectives, and they're the two things. If I see you going to help me solve problems, if I see you're going to help me achieve my objectives, I'm probably going to give you some time but if you're sitting there telling me about your attributes your characteristics your, your product your service blah blah unless i can see an immediate line to one of those four areas of need i've disconnected already so think eight seconds
1: and think value it doesn't have to be a fancy video it could be a simple text message it could be a post on linkedin it has to be very targeted and appropriate to what that person's concerns are which is what Mm -hmm. will help them get to the next stage. Is that right? Correct.
0: If in doubt, if you need a broader ballpark to land in, think business outcomes. Buyers think in business outcomes. Sellers think in product and service, right? And so, yes, you get to marry up the two, but later in the conversation, you've got to connect with the buyer first. That's one of the biggest, most common problems we see is not putting ourselves in the buyer's shoes. What's going on for them? I know it sounds profound, but it cannot tell you it's the most observed gap
1: that we see across tens of thousands of selling interactions every year. It may be that you end up selling them the same thing you thought you would sell them at the beginning, but unless you go through the process, you'll never get a chance to make the offer. Isn't that true?
0: Correct. When they're more bought in, what we see is less margin erosion. So collaboration is absolutely key here, because the more collaboration, the more the buyer is buying what you say, because they're owning that purchase, not you pushing that purchase on them. We see for those sellers that do that really successfully, it's often more organic. It's more like a series of conversations that are very proactive, value-oriented, solution-oriented. The buyer keeps wanting to come back and engage you. And often when they're getting more value, than just what the product or service can provide. They're getting value through you, the seller. They will pay more. When I say pay more, they're not gonna pay above your asking price, but you're gonna achieve less margin erosion. That's, I know the aim for a lot of sellers is how do I sell more and not have to reduce my price? The answer often is staring at you right in the mirror. It's not your product. You don't have a product problem. You don't have a service problem. You don't have a team problem. It is how the buyer perceives you as the seller as being another
1: source of value that they can't do without. It's the value you're providing, not something you're selling. The buyer wants a quarter-inch hole. They don't care about the drill bit you're selling them unless they see how it's going to produce the hole that they're after. It's the
0: orientation of the seller around the hole. And there may be other things that the seller, the other things, insights, observations, experiences that the seller can bring. That is going to help prevent problems, issues, mistakes being made. All of that is part of the value package that they buy. And it's the whole plus.
1: What would you say are one or two other tips to give people about the mindset of a virtual selling to help them be successful with it?
0: I hope we've landed a couple of things here. One is you've got to put yourself in the buyer's shoes, right? You've got to think time poor. You've got to lead with value. What is value to that buyer? You've got to prepare more than you ever have, particularly in virtual selling. You've got to show up and be deliberate. That's the number one word that you'll see right throughout the book, is that we understood those who were successful in virtual selling were very deliberate in terms of how they showed up. It's less organic, it's less ad hoc. I know for sellers, some sellers that's really challenging, but you can have great confidence in the fact from the research and what we've seen. If you go with that mindset of preparedness, and deliberateness, and you lead the way in these conversations, the results that you are going to realize are far greater than you anticipated or expected. The other thing around preparation and deliberateness is also you need to go with a mindset of collaboration. How do I collaborate more effectively? That is probably... The silver bullet or the secret that a lot of uh, your listeners may be looking for that they're missing at the moment. They may be really good at all the other elements we've spoken about, but they struggle, they get deal stall, they get competitive pressures introduced to their sales, particularly through their virtual
1: interactions, often because they're not collaborating, collaborating with the buyer. Andy, if they need an example, working with you today to produce this interview has been an absolute joy and model of collaboration, where we've come up with topics that were not part of the plan. But I wanted to hear what your thoughts were and the perspectives that you brought and delivered so much value to everyone listening. Starting off with a reminder of Randy Gade and how he tells people to just get to it, to make their sales and make their future, because no one's going to do it. It's all up to you and being responsible for yourself. And you shared your own story of inspiration, where once you heard Randy you are able to 20X your revenue in the span of 12 months. And what a difference that makes. It shows people that it really makes a difference to have the right mindset and approach that's a very deliberate approach where you could stand out in a very crowded world. Here we are in a world that requiring hybrid skills because it's not all face-to-face anymore and it's not all virtual. So being able to have those different toolkits you talked about in going through those stages and things that you spell out so clearly in the book, makes the biggest difference. For these and so many reasons, I wanna thank you for joining me today on my quest for the best. Andy, before we say goodbye for now, where can we find out more about you and your work online? RainSalesTraining.com is the quickest and easiest way. And for
0: anyone who wants a starting point in terms of virtual, I would read the research report. It's very simple and easy to digest. Virtual selling skills and challenges would be a very rich source of immediate value and insight for those sellers wanting to to learn a lot more. That's a great place
1: to start. Andy, we're going to point to RainSalesTraining.com. We're going to point to your social media. We're going to point to your book and places to buy it to make it super easy for people listening to go to the show notes and find resources to keep up with what you're doing and how the research that you've provided and the experience that you've brought can help people be more effective with their sales. Andy Springer, author of Virtual Selling, How to Build Relationships, Differentiate, and Win Sales. I want to thank you once again for joining me on my quest for the best. Thank you,
0: Bill. Thank you, everyone. I hope you got value from our time together.
1: Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now, I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review My Quest for the Best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com.